Welcome to Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7, coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. We have a special guest on for you today. I'm on the road. I'm down in Beaufort, South Carolina, and I'm attending uh, the Pat Conroy Literary Festival, and I have a very special guest here, Cassandra King. Cassandra, welcome to Poets and Writers. Thank you so much for having me, Henry. It's a pleasure, and I'm so glad you're in Beaufort. As we like to ask on this program, where are you from? Where am I from? I am from Lower Alabama, as you can probably tell by my accent. I just wrote an essay for uh, uh, an anthology, and the name of it is the same but different, because when I moved to South Carolina, everybody I met said, where are you from? And I thought, well, why is my accent so different from the South Carolina accents? But it is, evidently. As we, as you like to say, you're from L.A. Yes. Lower Alabama. Yes. Okay. And you grew up there, did you? I did. I grew up on a farm. It's over in the southeastern corner of Alabama. Unfortunately, it's not the real pretty part of Alabama that's Mobile area. <laughs> this is over in, uh, in the corner borders Georgia. We're just a, a, a few miles from the Georgia line, a few miles from the Florida line. So just right in that little corner there on the farm. All right. Well, you've you've led an interesting life, and we're going to come back and talk about Pat Conroy and the Literary Festival here today. But, you know, you've written. Do you remember the first thing you ever wrote? Now, I'm just going to... I do. I absolutely do. I I wrote a ghost story, and um, uh, as soon as I learned to write, I pretended like I was writing stories. You know, I'd scribble and pretend like I was writing stories, and then I'd, you know, play like I was reading them. But uh, the, the... the first thing I ever wrote was a ghost story because we, we said we lived in a haunted house. People said that because my great-grandfather had died in the house. So, um, so I had to write a ghost story and then read it to my classmates. But I did that during recess, and I found out that if they wanted to hear the rest of it, I had to make it interesting enough. I'd have to leave it at a, a cliffhanging moment. So I learned a lot about writing with the very first thing I ever wrote. Okay, now you have written a number of books, and uh, I picked up one down on Bay Street at the bookstore today, and this is Some Sweet Girl's Guide to Life, and I like that very much, Some Sweet Girl's Guide to Life. But one of your books that stands out, Queen of Broken Hearts. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about Queen of Broken Hearts. Queen of Broken Hearts, let's see, was my fourth novel. And it was the first one that I um, played around with the idea of having a, a my male character, my main romantic interest in the book, based on Pat a little bit. It's not totally like Pat. I, unlike him, I do try to disguise my characters. But um, Queen of Broken Hearts is a, is a divorce therapist. And this book came about when my sister was going through a very, very difficult divorce, and I took her to a divorce recovery retreat. And it was just a wonderful, uh, wonderful thing. But, of course, being a writer, the whole time I was there, all I could think of was just think of all the stories. Just think of all the stories that are here among these women. It was at the time, it was just women. She does, you know, some male ones too. But um, so I decided who would be a better character in a book to tell all these stories but a divorce therapist. 
who conducted these divorce retreats. And the retreat I took my sister to was at a beautiful location. So I wanted a, a beautiful location for mine, and I've always loved Fairhope, Alabama. So that became my locale. That's the setting for Queen of Broken Hearts. And so I have this uh, uh, divorce therapist who does so much to help all these other women, but you find out she is unable to help herself because she too is recovering. She's a widow and she's recovering from a broken heart as well. Well, you know, that goes on quite a bit. You know, it really does. And uh, it reminds me, I, I've known, you know, folks who can help and who are great at solving other people's problems because they have some of their own, but it's hard for them to sometimes solve their problem, right? That's, yeah, that's exactly, exactly right. And I thought that would be an interesting angle to explore, you know, as a writer to uh, to have this. And, and, and also what I added to it is that to her great horror, her daughter, who has her two young grandchildren, suddenly finds that her husband has been unfaithful to her, and he has asked the daughter for a divorce. So her daughter's going through a divorce as well, and uh, she's she is just so tied up in helping everyone else that she's neglecting her own emotions. Now you have, um, how many books have you written now? I've written five books right. of fiction, and then this uh, little Same Sweet Girl's Guide to Life, um, and it is advice from a failed Southern belle. That is my only book of nonfiction. I like it. And you know, <laughs> Rick Bragg and uh, many of my listeners out around the Valley here know Rick Bragg. Oh um, yes. Love Rick. All over but the shouting, I think. Yes. About his mom. Yes. And, uh, how'd you get to know Rick Bragg? Exactly that way through his, uh, through his mother, Pat had, uh, written him a blurb for all over but the shouting. And he called Rick to tell him how much he liked that book and told him that at the time Pat and I were seeing with each other, we weren't married then, that he was seeing a woman who lived near his mother and he would like to meet his mother sometimes. So Pat and I went over to meet Rick. It's the first time either of us had met Rick and his mother in Jacksonville, Alabama. So you lived near his mother? I, at that time, I was what? teaching um, college in um, Gadsden State Community yes. College. That was near, yes. That's near, um, uh, it's not that, you know, 40 miles, exactly. something like that from Jackson. Well, now, I want to get your last book, and then we're going to talk about Pat Conroy. Okay. Because, uh, but I want to get your last book. Is it Moonrise? Moonrise is, it, is and, my and, last book of fiction. And talk a little bit about Moonrise. Okay. It was, it was a, 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 Henry, it was a, fun book to write because it was a departure for me. I, 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 start, I sort of, I guess, started, I mean, took this book from where I started because it's sort of a ghost story. It is not exactly a retelling of uh, the old classic Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, but it is, it's influenced and has a, has a, a lot of of the same gothic elements and so forth that uh, Daphne du Maurier did in, in her book, Rebecca. So I took that idea 
and I set an old spooky mansion <laughs> in Highlands, North Carolina. Yes, yes. And I have a new bride coming into this situation where she is just so thrilled to be a part of this man that she has met down in Florida and fallen in love with. And she finds out that his wife has died under strange circumstances and not quite as long ago as she thought either. And she's so she's in a, a, a scary a sort of situation she imagines. She hears the, the spirit, uh, you know, spirits maybe of the wife. She sees things out in the... There's a beautiful old garden there at this house, and she sees things out there. And so, you know, it just has the whole, that whole element of a supernatural that I had fun doing. And uh, we're talking with Cassandra King today on Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7, and just having a wonderful time talking about her latest book. Uh, where can uh, readers get a copy of it? Any independent bookstore, you can, um, if they don't have it in stock, because it did come out a couple of years ago, they can certainly order it for you. Um, and I, I know there's certain, I, I don't like to talk about the online places, but right. you can order, you know, you can order online. But I always want to support my independent bookstores first. Absolutely. Well, Cassandra King, now I'm down here at the Pat Conroy Literary Festival, and Pat passed away... March the 4th. Uh, March the 4th. And I first got to know him through Nancy Olson at Quail Ridge Books yes. there in Raleigh. And, you know, she passed away yes. this year. And talk a little bit about how you and Pat came to know each other. Pat Conroy and Cassandra King. <laughs> great matchup. Well, it, I, I, it, it certainly was was for me. I, I, we, we had almost 20 wonderful years together. Yes. Um, Pat came to Birmingham at that time. I was I was living near Birmingham and teaching uh, there, and um, uh, attended a writers' conference where I met him. My first book was coming out. I was too embarrassed to tell him that I had a book, you know, myself exactly. coming out because I just, you know, I I just would not have, but a friend of mine did, and so. Pat said, well, why didn't you tell, came over to us as we were talking, and he said, why didn't you tell me you're a writer? And I said, well, I mean, I'm not really, you know, it's just a little book, and, you know, it's my first, and this sort of stuff, and he really, he didn't like hearing that at all. He said, you wrote a book. It's being published. You are a writer. Got it? And so he's the first one that gave me permission to call myself a writer. <laughs> So you met, and then you uh, started dating? Or yes, in, we, uh, we did. We, we started seeing each other. Yeah. At we, first you thought both were married? or We um, did. When we first met in 95, we were, we were more phone friends until 97. I did not see him again until 97 at the same conference when, in the meantime, he, had, he didn't know that I was already divorced when I first met him, and he was going through a divorce. So in 97, he had heard in the meantime that I, that I was divorced, so he called and asked me out and asked me to attend this, <laughs> this conference with him, and I did. And so 
That's how it started. Well, we you had 20 years together. And, yes. you know, the sad thing for me in a sweet sadness is I was just getting to know Pat. Yes. And I realized, you know, and I know Pat's an extrovert like, and knows everyone and <laughs> you never met a stranger. But we the first time Nancy introduced us and I recorded him live at Quail Ridge. Yes. Was, uh, yeah. Nancy, it was just pure Pat, you know, and I'm, oh, I'm going to yeah. present, give that to you. It's a... Uh, 30 minutes, actually an hour series, but we we have had it on uh, live a number of times on WEHC 90.7. Yes. But I met him, and I, I got him to my reading life, and I had him sign it. And I said, Pat, I said, you know, I really love uh, Thomas Wolfe, and, uh, and that, you know, he talks about that in his book. And I said, uh, you know, when Patty and I got married, we uh, drove over from Boone and spent our night hunt one night in Asheville and we went to Thomas Wolfe's home and old Henry's grave and both their graves old Henry and yes. Thomas Wolfe and uh, he just stopped midair he thought that was so sweet you know yes. and, and you know yeah. but I didn't know him at the time is and, and was just getting and then uh, you guys were at the um, book uh, book um, book launch so to speak at the, in Winston-Salem last year Yes, that's right. Yes. Yes. And so uh, I talked to him again, and then I realized, I said, well, you know, I've got a good friend, and uh, I always go once a year we play ball together, John Reeves. (laughs) And John was co-captain of the football team, and Pat said, good guy, you know. Tell him. Yeah, (laughs) I knew it. Exactly. So, and then um, the last time I saw him, he said, well, be sure, I said, I'm going to put a rose on Thomas Wolfe's grave, and he said, well, be sure and put one on old Henry. So I went up to ask when I put, but I put one for Pat, too. So oh, I really did. So just sweet. sharing that. But but so well, let me ask you, what do you think uh, made uh, Pat a great writer? Um, he Well, he was a poet, first of all. Uh, honest to goodness, he wrote the most beautiful passages that I've read outside of poetry. And and I and I mean that I mean as as beautiful passages as you will find in any books of fiction I don't care where or who, um, so he he had that that gift that that wonderful gift. If that had been all, that would have been I think you know uh, he would have been a great great writer for that. But his characters you don't forget his characters they are. Just you know, each one of them from from um, uh, the great Santini and Ben Meacham and the mother and just anyone you think of one of his books is the characters you think of and how they stand. So he understood human nature so well, and he did base his characters on real people. So he was very much an observer of of you know of human behavior and a recorder of it as well. So then he was he was a storyteller too. So you put all those elements together, you're going to have a great writer. Absolutely. And he observed people and all the time he's talking to you, he's, he's observing at the same time. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And uh, tell me a story. He made a comment about tell me a story, and you're wearing yes. that badge today. Talk a little bit that's, about that. That's what we decided would be our theme our overall uh, oh, sort of theme and purpose for the Pat Conroy Literary Center, which we have established here. We have not opened yet, um, but we 
and tend to the first of the year because we've, we've been getting things together and getting it so, so that we can open. We have to raise money and we have to get a staff. We have to have a place for this. So it's been a tremendous undertaking. But we decided on this as a legacy for him after he died. What would mean the most to Pat? And he, he was so supportive of emerging writers. I've never known anyone who would take the time that he did. And he, you know, he didn't have the time to spare. It's not like he was, he was, Absolutely. you know, just lying around. But uh, his high school retired. teacher, his high school teacher told him to take time to help Absolutely. And he took that to heart. So we, he always said, everybody's got a story to tell. And if you talk to him long enough, he would get that story out of you. So that's just summed up what the purpose of the, the Literary Center is. We want people to be able to tell their stories. And Pat's not here to, to encourage them um, and to help them find a way to tell their stories, but the Literary Center will be. All right. Uh, we're talking with Cassandra King today on Poets and Writers. And talk a little bit more about Pat and, and his, well, where he came from, so to speak. I know the great Santini. I first read Pat with Water is, the Water is Wide and it too. became a movie. Yes. Conrad, and it influenced me. I was a young teacher at Lynnview High yes, School. Yes, yes. Down in the Absolutely mountains. Absolutely, me too. Yeah. But he came from a military family. and Yes, he did. He he, it, nothing has shaped him, I don't think, like that because they moved so many times. And, you know, one time he was counting up and he moved more times than he had years. And I said, now, wait a minute, Pat. Now, you're exaggerating some of these moves, aren't you? Because he was, he was uh, always teased about exaggerating stuff. And he said, no, because we actually would move to different houses on the bases when we, you know, it was like they had lived in different, more places than, than, um, than they had years. So, so, and also when his father was overseas, um, the great Santini, the great Santini was, was off on, you know, wherever for, uh, few months, his mother would take the kids and go stay with the relatives so that she'd put them in school and this, you know, and so he, he stayed, he had time in Orlando, Florida, where her sister lived, and in Atlanta, where her mother was, and went to kindergarten there. So he did. He lived in so many different places, and each place he went to, he was the new kid on the block. So I think that's how he developed his his openness, his friendliness. I think it would hit you one way or the other as a child. You would either become so shy and so retiring and so scared to meet people, or you would you would know that in order to fit in and not to be miserable your whole childhood, you were gonna have to go out and make friends as soon as you got in a new place. So I think that was a tremendous influence on his life. And he was seeking self-insight. And I know he was a fan yes. of Thomas Wolfe. And could you say his writing was therapeutic in, in some ways? or Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely therapeutic. He worked through. What we, we have to keep reminding ourselves is that when Pat wrote the great Santini about child abuse, 
Nobody was talking about it then. There were not programs and, and all these sort of things like they are now. Uh, <clears throat> he was a groundbreaker with coming out and revealing the, the child abuse and the spousal abuse that is hidden. It was hidden in his family. His father would have been in serious trouble with the military had they known what was going on. So they were all um, had to hide, had to hide this. And um, uh, it's kind of hard to get beaten up as a child and go to school the next day and pretend like nothing's happened. So his mother, he says, was the first fiction writer in the family because she would have to make up different ways for him to have gotten hurt, you know. Uh, oh, they were playing football outside and he fell over something, you know, different things like that. So, uh, uh, yeah, he he's his background, his family life provided him with all the material that he that he needed for well, his writing. You know, you could say I heard him say once. You know, after you met someone and you started talking to him. And I'm generalizing this statement. It's like after the first five minutes, you're going to be talking about a crazy relative, you know. Yes. That we all, in other words, and that's what I loved. And then the death of Santini, I loved that because he was, his honesty all through it. But he, he, was, he, was, he was extremely honest about things that other people didn't want to talk about, you know. And it was helpful to all of us. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, Henry, I wish I could tell you the number of letters that he got from people saying, you have changed my life. And I mean that. I mean letters, stacks and stacks of letters. And we would meet people at book signings, and they would burst into tears when they saw him. And they said, you know, they would say, you changed my life. I was never able to tell that I was abused as a child. Or what, you know, whatever the... The different things, I, I was ashamed of my mother because she had mental illness or my sister or, you know, things like that. The things that he wrote about that people identified with. Thank you so much for, for sharing that with us on Poets and Writers today. Now, let, we want to talk some more about you and your writing. As I said earlier on in the show, I picked a copy and I love this little book. And it's called The Same Sweet Girl's Guide to Life. Advice from a failed Southern belle. That's me. Talk a little <laughs> bit. About, was this based on, what was this based on? Okay. A talk? It was. I, I gave a couple of commencement speeches. The, fir the first one I gave was at an uh, all-girls college in Macon, Georgia. You know, Wesley, there's not that many. Uh, uh, I had gone to an all-girls school and um, and belonged to a group of women there that we call ourselves the same sweet girls. And that's the name of my third novel, too. But um, so when, when I did this commencement speech, uh, my uh, initial audience was to, you know, all females. So I talked about how, how I had felt growing up with uh, uh, wanting to be a writer, um, being sort of a rebel, while my mother wanted me to be a, nothing but a Southern belle. And she wanted me to be uh, a combination of Betty Crocker and Melanie Wilkes. You know, she, she had my whole life, she wanted me to go to college so I could get an MRS degree, 
you know, so maybe I could meet somebody. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was that was the the way I grew up and was raised, and that just wasn't me. So the hoop skirt never fit me, but it, bless her heart, as we say in the South, it wasn't because my mother didn't try. Didn't try. <laughs> yeah. So you were a rebel there. I was. Your, yes. And, and, uh, to a certain extent. Oh, yes. But I you, would you, always yeah. go back, you know. It, I would rebel, then I'd feel guilty exactly. because I am a Southern woman. Mm-hmm. And we are made to feel guilty from the cradle. So I would feel I'm disappointing my mother. So then I would, you know, try to behave and do, you know, what she wanted me to, to do. Um, and, and so I was always torn. I've always been torn between uh, my creative self and the, the people pleaser. And you can't, be, you can't do both. And well, that and also, you know, the designing women come to mind. Yes. You know, that. But you know, I think uh, in the South, women could not be overtly aggressive. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so, so, of course not. Right. No. And uh, my mother wouldn't have allowed me to, even right. <laughs> you know, if it, if it had been accepted. No, she was she was very uh, white gloves. You know. Uh, Young lady, you behave yourself. She made my clothes and and most you know uncomfortable, starched, uh, lacy kind of stuff. She just had her in her mind the kind of sweet girl I was going to be. And so your advice here in this book, which is a <laughs> sweet, sweet book, the guide is is uh, to, to, you know it's suggestions on how. You survived this, correct? That's, that's and, right. And, that's uh, right. And you quote uh, Emerson. You quote Mark Twain. What was that quote from Mark Twain? Oh, uh, that, I, I, I go, can't recall right off. Isn't that right you, off go the bat, to heaven you, for? Oh, the, you go. You go to to uh, heaven for the climate and to hell for the company. Uh, that's <laughs> that's really one of my favorite quotes <laughs> yeah, of his. Right. You know, isn't that but great? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. what you're saying is, you want to be around the people who are, are alive. Exactly. Exactly. And to follow that yeah. energy. Yes. You know, we yes. we have this that energy, creative and, energy, and, and creative energy. Yes. And place yourself in that, and mm-hmm. and and continue to strive, to seek, to find. Yes, and absolutely. To and creative creative people are going to be considered eccentric. You know, they're not going, they're going to march to a different drummer. We are going to march to a different drummer. And so sometimes, you know, we don't fit in. The, we, the, the hoop skirt just doesn't fit us. Absolutely. <laughs> We've been talking with Cassandra King today about her books and her writing and also about her husband, Pat Conroy, down here in Beaufort, South Carolina. So I want to thank you for being on the show today, Cassandra. And any closing comments? I just like people to know about the literary center that we're forming here because uh, it's just just such a fitting uh, legacy for Pat, and and we're we're working so hard to to um, make this come about, and and I just want people to know that we are doing something to hopefully carry on his legacy. Well, and you, you just uh, you, you know, I just want to thank you for your writing also, as well as Pat's, thank and you. Thank and you, being uh, so gracious to take the time today here at the festival uh, to for this interview.
Thank you for listening. This is Henry McCarthy saying, do not wait up for me. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Thanks again.